Thanks for taking some time to listen to this message on the Elevate Church podcast. We believe that God will speak to you wherever you are. Now, let's prepare our hearts and hear what God has for us today. I want to say welcome to those of you that are in the room and also for those of you that are joining us online. Would you guys help me welcome those that are joining online, wherever you're from. We're so glad that you would tune in today. In fact, we got a group that tunes in every single week from the Philippines. So what's up, Philippines? Glad you guys are here. Uh, my name is Colby. I'm the pastor here and we're in this series called Unseen. And I know for some of you, it might be an uncomfortable kind of series because we're talking about spiritual warfare. And we learned last week that, that we are in a battle. Whether you believe it or not doesn't mean it doesn't exist. We're in a, a battle. That's what Paul tells us as he's writing to a church in Ephesus of new believers, new Christians. They're kind of just getting their feet wet. And maybe that's some of you in the room today or some of you watching online. You're new to this whole thing. And he talks about how we should live our lives, how we should conduct ourselves, how we should walk worthy of the calling that we have as followers of Jesus. And then at the end of this letter, he says, but finally, there's something I have to tell you. That if I don't tell you this, then it would be spiritual malpractice on my part because you need to know what you are up against. That now that you're a follower of Jesus, and, and let me just be clear, I know that's not everybody in the room or everybody even watching online. Some of you are kicking the tires of the faith. Some of you are just trying to figure things out. It, it, who is God and, and who is Jesus and what does it mean to me? I'm praying that by nothing I say, that God would draw you to him today. But Paul is talking to this new group of new believers and he says, I got to leave you with this, that there's an enemy who's out to get you, that there's an enemy that would love nothing more than to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus has come to give you life to the full. That's what John 10.10 says. And he says, so you got to put on the full armor of God. And then he goes through these different pieces of armor that indicate the armor is, is useful in close combat that we are to protect ourselves against this enemy that wants to come against us. That if we're going to win in this life, not only do we have to win in, in the, the natural, but we have to win in the spiritual because he says there are two different realms that the enemy wants to operate in, that we are a spiritual being, by the way. That the spirit part of you is a part of you that will last for eternity. And so we're a spiritual being. And so our fight is not just against flesh and blood but against principalities and against these forces of wickedness that come against us. So Ephesians 6, 11, he says this, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Everybody say schemes. That's what we're gonna talk about. That while we believe our enemy is unseen a lot of times, it doesn't mean he is unknown. And that if we don't want him to have an advantage over us, we need to expose the way that he operates. Because again, we are in a battle. And the Bible is clear. It says we're in a battle against the forces of darkness and the forces of light. And I know that sounds a little Star Wars-y, Star Wars-ish, but that's the reality of what God's word says. Romans 13, 12 says, let's put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Ephesians 5, 8 says, for at one time you were darkness, that at one time you were living this way, but now Right? You are light. You're the light of the, the Lord. So walk as children of the light. John 8, 12, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. And whoever follows me will not walk, walk in this darkness any longer, but will walk in the light of life. So the reality is there are these two sides. And there is this, this pool, and we are in a war. And again, just because you don't believe it, 
doesn't mean it's not happening. Just because you can't necessarily see the fight all the time doesn't mean one doesn't exist, right? There are a lot of things that you can't see that you believe in. You can't see the wind, but you believe in the wind. You feel the effects of the wind. You can't see the flu, but you believe in the flu, especially if you get it, right? You feel the effects of the flu. So just saying that you don't believe it so you're not going to engage in it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. In God's word, I would say if you want to deny the reality of the spiritual adversary, it's to deny the reliability of the scriptures themselves. Because 55 times, and it depends on who you're talking to, but 52 to 55 times, the enemy is mentioned in God's word. 26 of those times, he's mentioned by Jesus himself. So we're in a war against our spiritual adversary. And I want to dig into this a little more today from the the title of discerning the devil. And I think this is going to be a a kind of a heavy note kind of message. So if you want to grab your notebooks, grab your pen, be prepared to write some things down. Because in this series on spiritual warfare, I'm approaching it like this is boot camp. Like we are in the early stages of boot camp trying to figure out how the enemy operates in our life. And I'm just going to be very honest. I don't understand it all. Like, that might be some of you. I don't get it all. I'm not approaching it as that I have it all figured out. I want you to know that. I'm just kind of learning with you. But there is an enemy that's working in the natural and in the spiritual opposing us. And one of the first fundamental things that we have to do in this warfare is to accurately identify and assess who the enemy is. Write this down. You can't defeat what you can't discern. You can't defeat it. You can't, you can't reject. You can't resist something that you don't recognize. And so we need discernment to know, is this the enemy coming against us or is this something else? Because our adversary will show up in many different ways, in many different forms, in many different places. And if we're not living from a place of discernment, we're not going to know how to defeat him. It would be like going into a fight and not knowing who you're fighting. It'd be like some of you just starting a fight in here today. Don't do that. But if you did, you know, and just started taking sides and just just fighting, you don't know who your allies are. You don't know who your enemies are. And the reality is I think a lot of believers are getting derailed and detoured and their destiny is getting put on, on hold because they're not sure exactly who they are even fighting. But the Bible's clear when we wake up. When we become aware, the enemy loses his advantage. 2 Corinthians 2.11 And I pray that you commit this scripture to your heart. It says, in order that Satan might not outwit us, we are not unaware of his schemes. There's our word again. The same author, right, in Ephesians who says, put on the full armor of God so you can stand against his schemes, says the enemy has schemes. He's coming against us. And if we are unaware of his schemes, then he has the advantage in our life. And again, I submit that some of you, you're fighting an enemy and you have no idea what's in his arsenal. You're fighting an enemy and you don't even know how close you can get or how far you should stay away because you're not sure of the weaponry that he has. You're fighting an enemy and you don't know how to properly manage that fight. And a lot of Christians, I feel, are fall into this trap and we're being outmaneuvered by the enemy. But here's the good news. I got some inside information today. I got some classified intel. In fact, this message is going to self-destruct in 28 minutes and 37 seconds. 
Because the Bible helps us to expose him for who he is so that we can have the advantage over him and we can accomplish all that God has for our life. And this classified intel is found in Ephesians 6.11 where Paul says, take your stand against the devil's schemes. Schemes. He doesn't say take your stand against the power of the enemy Right? The enemy does have a certain degree and dimension of power, but that's not the issue that Paul is raising. He's saying you need to stand against his schemes. He is a schemer. Now, what exactly is a, a schemer? We need to understand who our enemy is. Uh, check this out. A schemer is a person involved in making underhanded or secret plans. Anybody know any schemers? We got some schemers around. We got some schemers that are planning and plotting, and that's what the enemy does. He's strategically refusing to unveil his plans in order to, to be a schemer, in order to be sneaky and crafty. In fact, that's how we're introduced to him uh, at the very beginning of God's word. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He's crafty. He's sneaky. He's a, a schemer. And so the enemy shows up in the garden, not wearing a red spandex onesie, wielding a pitchfork, right? And got some horns on, but he shows up in the garden as a snake. Because if you've ever had a garden, you're not surprised to see snakes there. Don't miss this. He shows up looking like he belongs there. He shows up. He's crafty. He's, he's a covert Operative, well, many of us are looking for the devil in these overt kind of, of ways, these overt manifestations. We're chasing shadows. We're playing shell games, trying to decipher, is this the enemy's working or is this something else? How does the enemy function in my, my life? Is this Satan attacking me or is this God testing me? Maybe you've asked that question. Or is this, this God, you know, is this God, you know, uh, testing me when, when in reality it's Satan attacking you? And if you don't have discernment, you're not going to know, do I learn a lesson from God in this or do I oppose the enemy? Are you with me? So we need discernment. We have to have discernment when it comes to the enemy because sometimes demonic um, storms and divine lessons can feel the same way. And if we don't understand the difference between the two, then we're not going to know what we're up against. Sometimes you're going to be upset with God when you should be upset with the enemy who's attacking you. Other times, you know, you're blaming the enemy when it's God using something to develop you and prepare you for something. Even if you don't like it in the moment, it could be something God is using. He's saying, hey, what's happening to you now, I know you're upset with, but those tears that you're crying in this season are going to prevent a lot of heartache in the next season. Are you with me? I wonder if God's done that in any of your life. Has there ever been a season where God has, you know, you've cried so many tears only to find out in the next season, right, that God prevented you from a lot of heartache? But we don't know if it's God, if we cannot discern if it's the enemy or if this is God. If this thing that I'm going through, I, you know, I'd rather cry a lot of tears now than to have to cry them later. Uh, I'd rather God knock me down for a round than get completely knocked out, you know, from the, the fight. I need discernment, discernment. I need to, you know, know what to rebuke. Is what I, I rebuke the right thing or do I resist the, the, the right thing or the wrong thing? And the enemy is a schemer. And so the first thing I want to do is kind of ask that question. How do we know if this is God preparing me or if this is the enemy paralyzing me or if this is just life? In fact, Ecclesiastes tells us, says sometimes things just happen. 
Good things happen to bad people. Bad things happen to good people. Sometimes it's just life. So which is it? There was a time Jesus was with his disciples and uh, they were approached or encountered a man who was blind from birth. Look at it. It's in John chapter 9. The disciples asked the question, Jesus who sinned? Was it him or was it his parents? Is that the reason why he's blind? Because back in this, this time period, they believed that it was your sin, you know, that created the, the infirmity that you had. And Jesus debunks that myth. He says, no, 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 you got it all wrong. It wasn't this guy. He didn't sin. His, his parents didn't sin. Now, now, real quick, we know that the only sinless person was Jesus. That was it. And when Jesus was saying, you know, it wasn't his sin, he's not saying that this guy is perfect. What he's saying is you cannot connect this man's imperfections to his infirmity. You can't relate the two to his blindness. His sin is not responsible for it. And so Jesus didn't give an explanation for it. He said this man was just born, born blind. He said, however, God will get glory out of it. So sometimes it's a product of we live in a fallen world, that there's sickness, that we have health issues, that we live in a fallen, broken world, and God can use those and have miracles happen and get glory out of those, those things. But sometimes it is the enemy. But how do we know? Sometimes the enemy will attack you and send storms against your life. There was another time where Jesus straight up performed an exorcism. And this is radical as, as it gets in Mark chapter 5. Uh, I would encourage you to go read the story, but there was a man living in the tombs of the Gesserines. And he was filled with, with these demonic spirits. And he was going about the tombs. He was crying out day and night, the Bible says. He was cutting himself with stones you know, doing some self-sabotage in his life. And some of you, by the way, you don't have to be literally cutting yourself to be self-sabotaging you. You can have some self-sabotaging behavior, dating that guy you know you shouldn't date. That's metaphorically cutting yourself, right? Making those decisions you know you shouldn't make, that's metaphorically, that could be cutting yourself. But he's, there's this guy in the, the tombs and they try to bind him up, they try to shackle him. And he rips through the chains because he's, he's got this supernatural kind of strength. And Jesus says, all right, we're going to go help him. Guys, get on the boat. We're going to the other side where he is. And Jesus knew where he was going. Jesus knew what was happening. And the disciples obeyed, got on the boat. And what happens? A storm comes against them. A storm that Jesus ends up rebuking. So you know this was a, a supernatural storm that the enemy did not want them to cross to the other side. But isn't this a trip? The, the disciples were obeying Jesus and a storm came up. I love that. Because here's where we need discernment. Not everything is black and white. You remember Jonah? Jonah ran from Jesus and a storm came up. The disciples are obeying Jesus and a storm came up. So which is it? Not all storms are equal, and I need discernment to decide, you know, what, what, what this storm is, who, who's responsible for the storm. But they run into a storm. The disciples are freaking out. Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves, calms it down right there, and in that same instant, heals the heart of the disciples who are filled with fear. And he goes on to, to, to do an exorcism of this guy found it in these tombs, but it was the enemy that was sending the storm. And Jesus rebuked it. The enemy did not want Jesus to get to the other side. Can I tell you something? Uh, for you Christ followers, some of the storms that you go through are not meant to prevent you. They're meant to prevent you from helping someone in need. And that's what we see. 
Not every storm is, is created equal. Satan knows, the enemy knows that some of you will face hell and high water to reach someone who is struggling, who is lost, who is hopeless, who is metaphorically cutting themselves in a cemetery because they're the walking dead. But he knows that he, you will go and you will reach them because you've been there. And so he sent this storm. Some, well, others were, would judge this man. You know, you might express sympathy for him. And so he comes against you. I'm just saying there are different kinds of, of forces working against us. Sometimes it's, it's life. And sometimes God will get glory out of that. Sometimes it's a, a, an enemy sending a storm. I need discernment because they're not all the same. Other times, one more, God allows. God will allow some things. To happen, I can take you to, to John 11 and show you Lazarus. If you remember Lazarus, something that could have been prevented. In fact, they said, Jesus, come quick. You know, Lazarus, whom you love, is about to die. But he waited. He did not come. In fact, he waited for four days. He wanted him to be four days dead before he got there. Why? Because Jesus could trust Lazarus with trouble. He could trust him with trouble. See, it's one thing when we talk about, can we trust God? Can I trust God? It's another thing when God trusts you. Because if God trusts you, he, not will, he will not only trust you with your gifts that you have, but he'll trust you with trouble. He'll trust you to walk through some things because he knows he can trust you. See, there's a big difference between us trusting God and God trusting us with the, the pain and trusting us with the journey that, that we've been on. And so he could trust Lazarus with trouble. He, he did that with Job. If you remember the conversation with Job, with the devil and God, the devil approached him, you know, and he said, you know, I can turn anybody. God said, have you, you know, checked my servant Job? You know, have you considered him? You know, you should check him out. He's not going to deny me. Do what you want to him. Take everything. Take his, take his uh, health, take his money, take his life, take his dog, take his truck, take his wife. Sounds like a country song. Take all this stuff from him, right? But I will trust him. He will never deny me. He'll never deny me. Can he trust you? He trusts you. And so it's one thing for God to get glory out of, out of your gifts. It's another thing for him to get glory out of your trouble. And, and while we're on that, let me just say, the people that have walked through something, man, like I don't care how gifted you are, how smart you are. If I'm going through a storm, if I'm going through something terrible, I don't want to know like, you know, the gifts that you have. I want to know how did you get through what I went through? Are you with me? I want to know, is there a light at the end of the tunnel for me? That's a way better message that you could preach to somebody than sharing your, your gifts and your talents with them. So I need discernment to know if this is the enemy, if this is God, if this is life. So the big question is, how do I recognize that, Colby? How do I recognize the schemes of the enemy? If I can't resist what I can't recognize, that's what you say, then how do I know? That it's him working. And so I don't blame God. I don't blame just, just life. Again, the good news is that the Bible helps us. It gives us some insider information. In fact, write this down. The schemes of the enemy are revealed in the names of the enemy. The names that the Bible gives him. I said there were about 55 times or so that the Bible mentions the enemy. Satan, our adversary. In fact, it calls them all different kinds of things because names mean something. God wasn't just giving us different names that we could use to call him. It's that the names reveal something about him. 
Names reveal his character. And God would oftentimes, because names used to mean something, today they don't mean as much. I was looking up some names um, that, that, you know, people like call their children. Um, I don't know if you've heard of Frank Zappa. You know what he named his kids? Check this out. Moon Unit, Dweezel, Thin Muffin. That's some names right there. I'm not sure what those mean. But in biblical times, names meant something. Names mattered. It was important. And oftentimes, God would change someone's name. You remember Abraham? Like before we, uh, you know, Abraham wasn't always Abraham. He was Abram. Before he had this encounter with God and God put his spirit inside of him and said, hey, you're going to bless nations. He gave him the Abrahamic covenant. You're going to bless people. Everybody's going to be blessed through you. Changes his name from Abram to Abraham. Puts that H kind of sound, which really is like the, the sound of God's name, Yahweh or, you know, Yeshua. It's like the H kind of sound. And so he changed his name because names mattered. His wife, Sarah, in fact, that wasn't her name all the time. It was Sarah and they changed it to to Sarah, but Sarah gives birth to a a son, names him Isaac. And Isaac means laughter. And the reason why she named him laughter is because when God told her that she was going to be pregnant and have a son, she was about 90 years old. And she busted out laughing. She's like, are you crazy right now? Right? Like some of you, if God told you you're going to be pregnant at 90, you'd be laughing or or crying. You'd probably be crying, right? You know, and I think, here's what I believe, uh, because names matter. Every time she said the name Isaac after that, I think it was followed by praise. Because I believe every time she said the name Isaac, she recalled, you know, that God blessed her so ridiculously that it made her laugh. There's this, this praise because names mattered. And then, of course, they have a grandson, Jacob, who's married to Rachel. And Rachel, before she dies, on her deathbed, she's giving birth, and she names her son Ben-Onai. Ben means son, Onai means of my sorrow. And so the daddy comes in, Jacob says, hey, you know, what'd you name the baby? And she's like, Ben Onai, son of my sorrow. He's like, no, that's not good. Because every time he hears his name, he's going to hear that he's a son of sorrow. So it's going to be like, Jacob, you know, or, you know, come here, son of sorrow. Go clean your room, son of sorrow. And so he changed his name from Ben Onai to Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. I'm just telling you all that to say that names matter. That they're not put in the Bible arbitrarily. And neither are the names that God gives the enemy. They're not just in there as different things to call him. That God is revealing something through his names about his schemes. And so I want us to look at just a few of them in the time that I have. Of course, the most popular one, write this down if you want to. Um, If you don't want to, write this down, is Satan. Satan, this is the most popular one. It's one we see mostly in scripture, and it means adversary. It means he wants to oppose you. He's adverse to anything that God wants to do in your life. He wants to block the direction that God has for you. He doesn't want you to live a full life. He is an adversary to you. He is a blessing blocker, a joy blocker, a happiness blocker. He doesn't want you to live the full life that God has for you. And so the scheme of Satan as our adversary is to write this down, disrupt. He's a disruptor. 1 Thessalonians 2.18, Paul says, we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again. But Satan, what did he do? Say it out loud. He blocked, blocked our way. He, He wants to stop you from reaching God's destination. He wants to block the direction of God in your life, which means there are certain doors that he's gonna shut. There are certain places, certain interests that the enemy's going to block in your your life. So how do we know? 
When you're running into opposition, you're running into resistance, you need to step back and say, okay, God, is this you blocking me or is this the enemy blocking me? God, they're telling me I can't move forward. My boss is telling me, you know, I'm not ever going to amount to that. You know, I'm not going to ever break through. God, uh, that door seems closed for me. I need to know, is that you or if that's the enemy? If that's you, God, then message received. I'm going to move on. But if it's the enemy, I'm going to kick that door down in Jesus' name. Are you with me? So we have to know he is a blocker and he wants to block the direction of God's working in your, your life. And a few questions that will help you discern the, the Satan, the adversary, the disruptor. One is, does this thing that is blocking, does this thing that, that is blocking my path from moving forward, does it line up with God's word? Listen, God's word will never contradict God's will for your life. Never. And so you can always match it up and say, is this, is this according to God's word? Does this make sense? Then ask yourself, will it draw me closer to God? You know, does this pain, does this, this, this thing that I'm going through, this resistance that I feel, will it draw me closer to God or push me further away? I'm not saying, is it the easy route? Because often it's not. I'm not saying, is it the path of least resistance, right? I'm saying, will it draw me closer and form me more into the image of Christ? And then, then a great question too is to say, you know, what do my godly mentors in my life say about it? About this, this resistance that I, I feel. So whenever you're running into a roadblock, Something that's disrupting your direction, step back and say, God, is this you or is this the enemy? If this is the enemy, I'm going to persevere. I'm going to persist. I'm going to push through. But if this is you, I'm going to chalk it up as, as not rejection, but redirection. The God, you're just looking to redirect the path that I'm on. Are you with me? Yes. All right, here's the second name. Uh, of course, it's a very common name too, is the devil. You've heard that name. First Peter 5, 8 says this, be alert and of sober mind. You know what sober mind means? Uh, it means don't be intoxicated by anything. Because when you're intoxicated by something, you lack discernment. Do you not? Say amen right there. Amen. Some of you don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. When you are intoxicated, you lack discernment. Let, let me put it this way. Do you remember a time maybe BC, like before Christ? When maybe you had a drink or two or a dozen, right? And it impaired your ability to make good decisions. This is Elevate Church. I know where some of you have been, all right? I've been, been there too. Like, I get it. And that's what he's saying. You need to be of sober mind. Don't be intoxicated. You know, don't be, don't be drunk. Don't lose your mind because your enemy prowls around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour, and the word devil, write it down, means slanderer. He's a slanderer. He's looking for someone to, to devour, to destroy. And the scheme of the slanderer is to discredit. He disrupts. As Satan, as the devil, he wants to discredit you. He wants to defame your character. He is a character assassin. And so Paul tells us, don't be intoxicated by anything because when you're intoxicated by something, you don't make the best decisions. You'll do things you know you shouldn't do. You'll say things you know you shouldn't say because your filter will be off. You'll be inebriated and you won't be able to, to think straight. And the enemy is prowling around waiting for a moment for you to make a decision like that so he can use it against you. 
He'll take anything like that, any seed, right, of, of any kind of mistake that you made and use it to slander you. Use it against you to impede any kind of impact that you could make with your life. Last week, I told you that, that the enemy cannot take what God gives you. He can't take your gifts. And because he can't take your gifts, he wants to take your credibility. Because if he can take your credibility, he'll, he'll, you know, nobody will be able to receive your gifts because you've completely lost your credibility. And so he prowls around looking for something to identify that will take your credibility. He is a slanderer. And one of the ways that he does it is by saying false things about people to ruin their reputations. And he does it through the vehicle of gossip. Ugh. You know God hates gossip? I mean, he hates it. Loathes it. And you've heard of the, the seven deadly sins? Uh, he, he says in Proverbs 6, 16, that there are six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. Like he can't stand it. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to the devil, a false witness that speaks lies, and one who sows discord. God hates it. And twice in there, he says it has to something to do with your lips. Arguably, I could say three times. Because not only is someone lying with a lying tongue or false witness that speaks lies, but how do you sow discord? Is you sow discord by, by lying, by falsely, you know, accusing someone. Sows discord, gossips, he hates it. And the enemy is a slanderer and he uses gossip. The devil will plant a bad seed about someone in your mind. Someone that you don't even know, someone that you've never even met, and he will use that and prevent you from ever building a relationship with them because you've established some preconceived, prejudged, that's where we get the word prejudice, prejudged thoughts about them that aren't even accurate. And because you've established some prejudgment about them, you can't receive from them, you can't help them even, even if it's someone that you want to help because someone slandered them to you. Gosh, do you think the enemy uses slander in our nation? Do you think the enemy is behind hate and racism and division? Absolutely. He is a slanderer. And the best way to fight against slander is to ruthlessly eliminate gossip and prejudice. Like eliminate it. Get radical about it. Like if you ever see it and identify it, nope, we're not doing that. We don't gossip. We don't, we don't slander. We don't, we don't have prejudice. Here's the next thing. I'm going to get fired up. Lucifer. You know what Lucifer means? Shining one. Light bringer. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen 14 says, And no wonder Satan himself masquerades. So he's a hider. He puts on a mask. He doesn't want to be seen, doesn't want to be known. He masquerades as an angel of light. As Lucifer, his scheme is to disguise. Write that down. He's a disruptor. He's a discreditor. And he's a master of disguise. Which you know what that means, by the way? He doesn't show up to you all ugly and nasty and hateful. He shows up to you winsome 
and beautiful. The Bible says he, he masquerades as an angel of light. He wants to suck you in and seduce you to his agenda. And he doesn't do it in ugly, nasty ways. He shows up winsome, which is precisely why Paul says you got to put on the full armor, your close combat armor to protect yourself because just because you can't see a trap doesn't mean there isn't a trap, right? That's the nature of traps. Just because something seems good doesn't mean it's God and you need to protect yourself. How many know that, that some traps are disguised as opportunities? Some traps wear opportunity clothes and what looks good on the outside might not be good at all. So you need to use wisdom. In fact, I would say the way that we combat Lucifer, the angel of light, two words, wisdom and research. Wisdom and research. Proverbs 4.23 says that above all, we are to guard our heart and our mind because it is the, the wellspring of life. That we are to guard those things. If, if I've learned anything in this season, it's that things aren't always as they seem. Have you learned that from media, from the news, from anything, you know, that's going on from March until now, things are not always as they seem. People don't always have the accurate information and the devil will masquerade as an angel of light, which is why I'm begging you in this season, like any organization that you see out there that sounds good, that sounds right, that's waving a banner and a slogan that makes sense and man, it seems good. Do due diligence, wisdom, and research. Find out about it. What is the core values of it? What are the tenets of those organizations? Like, like you have to do that before you buy into it. In fact, before you vote, and you better vote. Don't make me come down there, all right? Like we've been given a gift in this nation that a lot of people don't have a freedom to, to vote. And so I will tell you, you better go out and vote. I will never tell you how to vote. But what I will say is, don't vote Republican. Don't vote Democrat. You vote according to God's kingdom values. Are you with me? Like, I'd say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So you vote according to God, what is it that's going to help bring your kingdom more to this earth? Vote that way. I will never tell you how to vote. Uh, I'm not going to do politics from here. We have political people that come to this church. This platform is not for sale. The only, you know, platform that we're going to push from here is Jesus Christ. That's it. That's all said and done, period. But I believe he would have us vote with kingdom values, I believe he would have us look into what the God's word says and make sure the way we vote lines up with what his word says. But the enemy is a master of disguise, master of disguise, Lucifer, the shining, the shining one. Here's, here's the last one I want to give you, and that is Beelzebub, Beelzebub. Matthew 12, 24 says, but when the Pharisees heard this, they said it's only by Beelzebub the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons, talking about Jesus. So they're calling an Jesus an individual who is, who is being influenced by the devil. And this was the religious people of the day. That'd be like church people saying, Jesus, you're the, you're the devil. Like, how messed up is that? Is Beelzebub means, write it down, Lord of the Flies. Anybody have to read that book in school, Lord of the Flies? One person. <laughs> I, was in a, I was in a play, a drama, back in like fourth grade, Lord of the Flies. I played the part of Piggy, if you remember Piggy. Typecasting. All right, Lord of the Flies. 
um, was a pagan idol. And they thought the Lord of Flies would protect them against swarms of flies. You have to remember in this time period, they didn't have raid. They didn't have, you know, deep woods off, you know, with deet. And so they thought this pagan idol actually protected them against flies. Don't miss this. Flies don't harm you, but they can certainly distract the fire out of you. And when he says Beelzebub, he's saying, hey, he's a schemer that he's not necessarily looking to to harm you and tear you down, but his way of getting you is to distract you. It's to distract you, to to keep you off of, of track, you know, for the direction that God has for your life. He's a distractor, write that down, distracts. Because if the devil can't cause you to sin, man, he'll certainly distract you from doing anything great from doing anything that God wants you to do. And some of you realize that. You you said, this is the year. I'm going to get things together. I'm going to work it out. But here come the flies distracting you. This is the year. And here come the flies. And some of you maybe have said, you know what? This is the year. I'm not going to date any more creeps, any more losers that only want one thing. But then what happens? Here come the flies DMing you, slide into your Facebook. They're flies. And the enemy wants to distract you and to pull you off of course. And if he can use any little thing, any little fly that will keep you from fulfilling God's ultimate plan for your life, he will. Here come the flies. Maybe it's starting something, launching something that you know God's put on your heart to do. And here come the flies, keeping you from fully investing, from taking that risk, whatever it is. And here's what I know. Has anyone been distracted this year? It's a ridiculous question. I submit not all of it, but a lot of it, it's flies. Because you get to decide how you finish 2020. No one gets to decide that for you. None of the the craziness that's happened, none of the constant nitpicking and fighting, not even the election gets to decide the way that you finish this year. Come on. Distractions. Distractions. I'm trying to get better at this in my own life of saying, you know what, God? Those little things, those little arguments, little times people come into the office and knock on the door. Hey, did you hear so-and-so, you know? And, and it's just silliness. It's nothing but a distraction. It's flies. It's flies. I have a calling on my life. You have a calling on your life. In fact, I feel called that, that eerie, Isaiah 54, 11 says, oh, oh, storm-battered city, desolate, filled with trouble. I will once again make you a city filled with precious jewels. You know what Erie's called? The gem city. I believe that's a word for our city. I believe why we're here, why I'm here, why my family's here, why a lot of you are here is because we believe so greatly that God wants Erie to win, to win against depression, to win against hopelessness, to win against hate, to win against racism. Like we believe that God is for Erie, for God so loved Erie. We believe that with all of our heart, that God wants us to win. But how many of you know it doesn't always feel like that? Doesn't always feel like the gym city. And the same is true in your life. The changes that you want to make, it doesn't always feel like you're making progress. In fact, a lot of the areas that you feel like you fall over and over and over again, I submit some of that, that's flies. It's flies. And we need to expose the enemy for who he is. One of the greatest weapons we have, 
against the enemy is, is focus. If we would fix our focus on things that, that matter, you don't want to get distracted by the little flies, then you focus on what does. See, I think a lot of our fight against the unseen enemy is not about exercising devils. I think a lot of it is about exercising discernment and asking God, is this the enemy? Is this you? Is this life? Because if we don't know and aren't aware of his schemes, we'll be ignorant to them and he'll have the advantage. Would you guys stand up wherever you are? I just want to pray this over us today. God, I ask that through your word, you would give us wisdom. Your word says that if we ask for wisdom, you will give us wisdom. So God, we need wisdom to to work against the, the schemes of the enemy. We need to expose him for who he is, a slanderer God, someone that shows up as an angel of light, trying to influence and seduce. And it's God, it's only by your word that we can line up. Is this truth? Is this you or not? So God, I pray that you would give us discernment in the battle against our spiritual enemy that would love nothing more than to steal, kill, and destroy. That we are in a battle between the forces of light and darkness, whether we believe we're engaged in it or not. For some of us, it's time to wake up and get engaged in the fight. Get engaged in the battle that's happening around us. God, some of us have been sleeping. And in Jesus' name, we want to wake up and be aware of all that's happening around us. God, we just ask that you would open up our eyes and let us see and understand all that's working against us. Give us wisdom against the enemy. Give us courage, God, to take steps of faith when when it's you moving. Give us courage to maintain course, God, when it's you that is preparing and doing something inside of us, God, even if we are crying in this season. We know that it's going to produce something for us in the next season. And so, God, we just ask that you would give us discernment. And when it's the enemy blocking our way, that we would chalk it up to not not rejection from you, but a new direction that you are leading us to. And so, God, we just pray that you give us that spirit to discern the devil and his workings in our life. And with every head bowed, every eye closed, there are some of you today that that battle between goodness and evil, light and dark is, is raging inside of you. And it will continue to do that. The Bible says that Jesus came as the light. And if anyone is in him, there is no darkness. They will walk in the light of life. And for some of you, you feel that battle and you've, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, whether you're watching online or you're here in the room. And I believe that God right now is just drawing you to him. Say, hey, that battle, that battle that's going on, it's my battle. It's my battle if you'll surrender it to me. If you'll once and for all confess that you need a savior, you need Jesus desperately. The Bible says that when we do that, he comes inside of us. He makes his home in our heart. He gives us a fresh start, a new beginning that he'll lead us into into his light, give us the Holy Spirit to guide us. Some of you, that's a decision that you need to make today because Jesus died on the cross for our sins so we did not have to do eternity without him or apart from him. 
And so as we confess him as Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says we will be, be saved. If that's where you are today and you need to make that decision, I want to lead you in a prayer wherever you are in this room or watching online. You can use your own words, say something like this. Jesus, today, I give you my life. I pray against the enemy and this battle that's raging inside of me. I confess to you I'm a sinner and I can't do life without you. Jesus, thank you for saving me. Thank you for dying on the cross so that I could live. And from this moment on, you are my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, celebrate today. Thanks for checking out this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast. And we hope you really enjoyed it. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. Welcome to the family. We would love to know about it. So please let us know by going to elevatechurch.com slash yes. There'll be some practical resources that will help you as you start this journey. If you want to support the mission and vision of Elevate Church to help people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, go to elevatechurch.com give. We'll see you soon. Have a great week.